Well, if you are a guest with us this morning, you are entering into a new series with us on Sunday mornings where we are focusing on the I Am statements, especially from the Gospel of John. You can see a new banner that we've got, and uh, I, I like it. I don't, know, I don't know what you think when you see the banner, but I, I look at it and I think, oh, that's just cool. There's a, there's a sense of, um, of piercing the heart, I think, with that. And it's just a beautiful depiction, I think, of what Jesus wants to maybe communicate as a feeling. You get the feeling from the picture, the kind of thing that Jesus, I think, wants to communicate in a statement like I am. The first thing I'd like you to do is to turn in the Bibles that are under the pew or in your own Bible to page 42, which is Exodus 3.14 if you're looking at your own Bible. You can just look at there. We're not going to read that this morning, but you'll see it from last week. We talked last week about the I am statement from the, from Exodus 3.14, where Moses comes al- along and sees a burning bush. And the bush begins to speak to him. And there's that one point where Moses says, look, I'm going down to Egypt, as you say, but when I go down there, what am I supposed to say when the people say, who sent you? And God says, you tell them, that it was I am. Well, this morning, we get to learn I am in a couple of different languages. So if you're, if you're at all interested in languages, this might intrigue you. If you're not interested in languages, then you're just going to have to bear through the next couple of minutes, okay? First of all, when we look at, and so again, I'll just tell you, this is sometimes spotty this morning, okay? So yeah, thank you very much. I may have to depend on you to, to move it forward. This is English letters but it's Hebrew sounds. Eya asher eya is the expression, I am that I am. Or it could mean, because it's in the future tense, it could actually say, I will be whom I will be. And God identifies himself this way in the Hebrew language. Now, those two words on the left and the right, eya, same word, are actually very close to the word Yahweh grammatically. These are present tense verbs. Yahweh becomes a name. That's Yahweh, basically. Yahweh is who I am, I am Yahweh, is what this says. And as we saw last week, it's the same thing as saying, I am the existent one, I'm the one who exists. Well, that's what it said in Hebrew, and that becomes identified with who God is. And God wants to say, I am the the existent one, I live. We can use different languages here because this is translated in different languages. In fact, I've got Luis sitting here. You probably know the, the language, like, you know Spanish like the back of your hand, right? So you can tell me what I am says in Spanish. How would you say I am in Spanish? Yo soy. Yo soy. Now I know Spanish. See? Very quickly. Yo soy. Um, Michiko is here, and she speaks Japanese. If you, if you were going to say this in Japanese, what would you say, Michiko? Exactly. <laughs> Very well done. Um, and there are other languages represented here today. You know, we could, pro- we could come up with some, an, an African language would come up and say the same kind of thing. One of the things, one of the languages, I should say, that this is translated into very early is the language of Greek. And there's a reason for that. It's because the Hebrews, who at various points were dispersed all over the known world, at one point ended up, a whole bunch of them, down in Alexandria, Egypt. 
And by this point in their history, around 200 BC or so, by that point, Greek had become kind of the dominant language of the day. And there were lots of Hebrews who were living down in Alexandria who didn't actually know Hebrew, even though it was their language. What they knew very well was Greek. And so they said, you know, we need to have our Bible, the Hebrew Bible, translated into Greek so that we can read and understand it. So they did. They made a translation of the Hebrew Bible into Greek. It's, it's, it's a very famous translation. It's known as the Septuagint. And one of the cool things about knowing that is that that's the Bible that Jesus and the apostles used in the first century. Numerous times when there's a, a verse from the Hebrew Bible taken and moved into the New Testament and quoted in the New Testament, when they quote it, they quote the Septuagint version of it rather than just a translation of the Hebrew themselves. We know that because of the variant translations of different verses. We know that it's actually the Septuagint that they were translating and using in the New Testament when they quote the the Hebrew Bible. So it's interesting. They're using Greek instead of Hebrew, even though it was originally in Hebrew. So because of that, then that means that Exodus 3.14, very early on, was translated from Hebrew into Greek. And this is where it gets very interesting. This is what this looks like in Greek. So gang, you'll have to do it. Ego eimi. I want everybody to say this with me this morning, okay? One, two, three. Ego eimi. See, you all know Greek the way I know Spanish. It's as easy as that. What this says is, the the word ego there, and we're not talking about a waffle, the word ego there actually is the first personal pronoun, I. Okay? Now, you'd think that eimi then must be M. But it's not. This is actually an emphatic expression because there is another I in the expression a me. So what this says is, I, I am. Okay? It's like if I was talking about, um, uh, let's say I'm just beautiful. I'm just gorgeous. Okay? I'm, fa- I'm fantastically beautiful. That's probably not that hard to imagine. And so... Let's imagine that I, I looked in the mirror and I said, oh, I, 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 I am beautiful, okay, when I look at myself in the mirror. Well, that, it's with that kind of emphasis that Jesus is using this expression, I, I am, and that's what's translated in Exodus 3.14 from the original I am in Hebrew goes into Greek as I, I am. Well, why is all of that significant? It's because of what Jesus does during his ministry and especially the way in which this comes out in the Gospel of John. Because in the Gospel of John, Jesus repeatedly, and I mean repeatedly in the Gospel of John, uses exactly this expression, I am. And he says, ego eimi. So when Jesus says ego eimi, he'll say, ego eimi, the bread of life. Ego eimi, the light of the world. Ego me, the resurrection and the life. And every time he says that, of course, it's emphatic. So Jesus is saying, I, I am the bread of life. I, I am the light of the world. I, I am the resurrection and the life. I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I, I am the true vine, etc. So it's an emphatic kind of expression that Jesus is saying whenever he uses that expression in the Gospel of John. And he's clearly then knowing what he's doing and knowing the Septuagint, drawing a direct connection between himself 
and the Greek translation of Exodus 3.14, where it says in Exodus 3.14, ego a me. Jesus is, is drawing that connection between himself and the I am, and it's hugely significant that he does so. Jesus is not just Messiah. He is that, for sure. He's the king. He came as the ruler of Israel. He's the one who was going to come and dramatically change the history of Israel. Jesus is all of that. But this specific effort on Jesus' part in the Gospel of John is trying to say a lot more than just, I am the Messiah, I'm the anointed one. Jesus is drawing this direct connection between himself and who God is. And it, it gives me chills to even say it. That every time Jesus says, I am whatever, in the Gospel of John, he's drawing a direct connection between himself and Yahweh. Who is the one that we serve? Who is the one that we worship? Who's the one that we glorify? This one is God. That's the claim that he's making. No Jew would begin to say the kind of things about I am, and we're going to see this again next week from John chapter 8. No Jew would begin to say, I am, and to use that language, unless it were true. Because to put yourself in that position and to link yourself up directly with Exodus 3.14 would absolutely be blasphemous. But Jesus is not only capable of doing so, he does so in drawing that connection, that direct connection between himself and God. Well, when there is an I am statement, so gang, please, thanks. Whenever there's an I am statement, there's, I want to say this morning that there's actual kind of a dual significance to this. First, so gang, first, there is always a specific meaning for the metaphor. Next, and next, so you'll see these in the Gospel of John. I am the bread, I am the light, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection. I'm the life, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the vine. These are all very specific metaphors that Jesus draws on to try and say something about himself. And there is, in each case, some kind of specific metaphor that he's getting after where he wants to communicate something about himself to the human beings who are listening to his teaching. And so this morning, you know, uh, Melissa got this beautiful display of bread up here next to our I am. Why is that there? Well, it's because Jesus makes a claim. This is what we're looking at today from John chapter 6. The claim that Jesus is, in fact, the bread. I want you to turn, if, you're, in your, if you would, in your Bibles to John chapter 6, please. It's on page 755. And it's here that Jesus specifically asserts that he is the bread of of life. So John chapter 6, and I'll begin with verse 25. I'll read down through verse 35. This is a great story. This is Jesus making a claim about himself to some people who doubt. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Remember that it's just before this that Jesus feeds 5,000 people. He feeds 5,000 people, and then right after he gets done giving them all of that bread, he then talks about being the bread of life. 
and he fulfills exactly what he did in the miracle. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they ask him, what what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And when he says to believe in the one he sent, he basically says, believe in the one who has come as God. That's what I am is all about. It's not just that God sends someone else. God actually sends a part of himself into a human body to be there for us. So they ask him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see and believe in you? And you just wonder, well, they just saw 5,000 people fed. I guess that wasn't good enough. What sign is it that you'll now give us? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert as is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And that is a great line. Just look at that line again. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. Notice the way that God's sending his, his bread becomes a person. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. And, and we could say this, like it all, all the English translations just say, I am the bread of life. I wish they said, I, I am the bread of life, because that's really what Ego Me says. I, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. And that is so much part of John's point. John is the gospel of belief. John wants people to believe. And here it says, I've told you this, you've seen this, you understand, I think, at some level, but still you don't believe. And so Jesus is the bread of life. What exactly does that mean? Well, some different things. Certainly, in this context, it's going to have to do with the staple or that which is absolutely necessary for life. For the Jew living in the climate in which they were in Palestine at the time, bread was everything. Bread meant for them life. Bread meant for them sustenance. If they were hungry, it was bread that they were seeking. Uh, And the fact is, is that different cultures have different things. Michiko's sitting there. If I was to say to Michiko, Michiko, what is it, the one food that everybody in Japan, and I haven't prepped her for this, okay? So she could get it dead wrong. What's the one food that everybody in Japan is going to eat at virtually every meal? Rice. Of course it's rice. If you're from China this morning, I could ask you the question, what's the one food that you're going to eat at almost every meal, and you're going to say that it's rice? This morning in the first service, Ron Bailey was sitting here. I said, Ron, you're from Zambia originally. What is it that everybody in Zambia eats? What is the staple food that's there with almost every meal? And it's, he said something in Zambian I couldn't understand. But it's called shima. And it's made of a cornmeal, mini meal. They have huge bags of it. It's all over the country. Every meal when you eat in Zambia, you're going to get shima. Breakfast, lunch, and supper. It's shima. It is the staple food of the country. Maybe in Mexico, it might be corn. Is it beans? Maybe it's corn and beans. And what is it in Canada? Coffee. 
Now, yeah, I, I, when I after, after the first service, when I asked that same question, Gary Zorn said it was potatoes. He said, hey, he said, 70 or 80 years ago, if you didn't have potatoes, you didn't make it. You couldn't live. You couldn't, you couldn't, you know, out on the prairies and things, you know, the, during the depression years, what would they do? Everybody ate potatoes. So maybe at some point for them, it was. And Jesus is saying, that's what I mean to you. If you don't have potatoes, you don't live. If you don't have rice, you don't live. If you don't have shima, you don't live. And Jesus says, you have to have me in order to live. I'm the staple food. I am needed by everything. I thought maybe when I said to the Canadians, what is it for you that somebody would say, pizza or hamburgers? We recognize the significance of Jesus and what he means to us. Jesus is the central principle that sustains life. For the Jews, it was bread. And so he is saying to them, I am the very thing that you need always. Now, a couple of kind of by the ways here. I want you to look at verse 31. They're talking to him about the fact that he is here and making claims about himself. And then he's even making comments about bread. It says in verse 31, Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, that it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And what I want you to notice there is that right at that point, Jesus is a lot more than just bread that keeps you alive. Right at that point, Jesus is in fact the sign of God's care. When the Jews said, we're starving, let's go back to Egypt. And God sent manna and they went out and collected the manna. The manna was so much more than just food to eat and keep them alive till the next day. The manna said to them, God is really active in our lives. God cares for us. He's doing something for us. We have a relationship with God. We are his people and he's taking care of us. And when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's saying so much more than just, I'm something that will sustain you. He's drawing attention to all that he is for them as the messenger for God, the one who has compassion on them, the one who cares for them, the one who's going to minister to them, the one who is for them the identification of what it means to be the people of God. Manna meant all of that, and Jesus didn't mean anything less. And then a second, by the way, I want you to notice what's on the screen right now. It says, Jesus is the bread of life. Why is it that I have those words, or that word life in italics and bolded? It's because that's not just your average word for life. The average word for life is bios, biology. Talking about cells, cells being alive. We have, to, we have to have functioning live cells in our body. We have to have functioning live cells in our brain. That's all biology. That's just staying alive. This is not that word. This is the word zoe, from which... The name Zoe comes from. There might be somebody in here named Zoe right now. If you're Zoe, you may not have known this, but your word, your name means life. But it doesn't mean like biology life, like cells staying alive. It means like abundant life. 
It means like joyful life, full life, exciting life, life to the full. And so right in the context where Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, right in there in John 10, 10, he also says, I came to bring you life and to bring it to you in the full. And so Jesus brings abundant life. And when he says, I am the bread of life, he doesn't mean I'm the bread that just keeps you alive. He means I am that which supplies real life for you. Isn't that what we need? Even more than just staying alive? Don't you all want to feel as though life is something that you're living out to the full? You want a joy-filled life, an exciting life, a triumphant life, a life in which you feel like God is doing something and working something among you so that you can say, I love life. And that's what this is saying when it says, I am the bread of life. So there are those specific things, those kind of metaphors, specific meanings for what Jesus is saying when he says, I'm the bread, I'm the light, I'm the good shepherd, etc. But then there's also at least this one big central motif. See, gang? There's this too. Standing behind every one of the I am statements that we're going to look at is not just the specific metaphor of bread or light or life or whatever. There's this. Because Jesus is I am in human form. He is the center, the core, and principal meaning of all creation, and certainly for humanity. When he says, I am, Jesus is saying, there is nothing more crucial to human existence than me. I am. I'm what you need. I'm what you have to have. I'm the sustaining principle but I'm the centrality of all of this. I'm what gives all of this meaning. As creator, I brought a new existence and then I gave it meaning and purpose. And so when you ask yourself about your own life, and we ask this sometimes, what is life all about? What's the meaning of life? Jesus gave us the answer. He's the meaning of life because he's the I am. Well, that means a couple of more things. Again, It means that believing in him as I am is the crucial human choice. It is the crucial human choice. Do I believe this about Jesus? That's the question that has to be asked, I think, by all of us. Every one of us saying, does this really mean something to me? Last week I said to you, why are you here? Like, why are you here this morning? Why did you take the time to be here? I, I don't think it's because you just couldn't think of anything else to do. It's because there was a claim made by God about what he means for our existence. Last week, it was the God, the Father saying, I am. And this week, it's his son saying about himself the exact same thing. And it calls into question everything else. To believe in him, to believe in Jesus as the I am, to believe this is the crucial question that everyone needs to answer. And to answer it in the affirmative is to have everything about our lives 
changed and transformed in the direction of I am. And so, Sagang, this choice is what actually leads to truth and life. Like, don't you want your life to be in conformity with that which is actually true? Don't you want to live in such a way that your life is connected to that which is actually true? Right at the core of everything. The core truth about the universe. Don't you want your life to be in line with that? As opposed to a myriad of other things in which you could believe and focus on which are not the truth. And when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he means to say, I'm the only bread of life. And I'm the only bread of life. He says that about himself because he believes it's true. And he calls us to believe this truth about himself. And so we can't really help it today. There is a decision before us. And that decision regards what this all means. There are things around us everywhere that distract us and take us away. There are so many things that take us away from this core truth and focusing on it. There's so many things that take us away from giving ourselves completely to this. And God is saying, please don't. Please give yourself to the one whom I sent, my son, who is there showing me to you. Give yourselves to this one. Because this is ultimately what's true and which leads to life. So I don't know where you're at this morning. It's possible that there are people here today who haven't given themselves completely to this. And it's not just people who aren't Christians who could we could say that about. It's possible that that's true of you who's been a Christian for 40 years. But when you ask the question whether or not you really, at, at the core, have given yourself to this truth and believed it, and, and if you're asking that question this morning, I want to encourage you to give yourself to this. We're going to be going for, through for weeks now in the future here looking at these I am statements. And in each one, there is a call and a question about who this one is for you. And I hope you recognize in this one who says I am that he is truly for you everything he needs to be. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you that you sent your son to be your representative here, to your your revelation of yourself. We are grateful, God, that you came in the flesh in the person of Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to give yourself for us. And while you died on the cross to forgive our sins and make us one with you and have relationship with you, maybe this morning what we're so grateful for is that you were who you said you were and that we can come to believe in you and give ourselves to you and find in you the core and the center and the, 
the principle of meaning for everything. Help each one here, Lord, this morning to reflect seriously on the truth that you conveyed about yourself. Help us not just to understand it, but to give ourselves to it. We pray through Jesus. Amen. John 6 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Uh, here's a piece of trivia. Do you know the Hebrew word for bread? Anybody? Lechem. Yeah, if you were in the first service, you heard it already. Lechem. Right? And the Hebrew word for house is Beit or Beth. So Beth Lechem. The bread of life was born in the town called the House of Bread. It's pretty cool. Um, and we sing this, we're going to sing this song about God calling us to love each other. It's very much a Book of John kind of song. But I think it's notable to point out we have two sacraments that we observe, baptism and Lord's Supper. And in John chapter 6, they're both referenced in one way or another. Right? In Genesis 1, God's Spirit is hovering there on the deep. In John chapter 6, Jesus walks across the stormy water. And if you were a first century Jew, you would absolutely have looked at that and gone, wow, the Spirit of God hovers over the deep. And then this bread of life that sustains us, which is what we partake of every week here. So let's sing this together, celebrating that, and then celebrating, I think, what Kelly was inviting us to, which is what it means to live a life given over to that, which is love for each other.